Hello and welcome to a series of podcasts from human rights organisation Article 19. Each episode will take a look at how we can better understand and protect two basic freedoms, the right to speak and the right to know. In this episode, we take a look at the state of freedom of expression today and ask, how has expression fared during the coronavirus pandemic? Where do we go from here? And how can we rebuild a status quo that's better than the one we had before? I'm Emily Hart, freelance journalist, researcher and author of Article 19's Global Expression Report, known as the GXR. Today I'm going to be talking to activists and experts from all over the world, honing in on three countries which have had particularly complicated years for freedom of expression and getting their perspectives on a year like no other. The global health crisis has radically changed so many things in our lives. Work, travel, the way we socialise. Governments around the world have taken wide-reaching action to face the health crisis. We might not have noticed it at first. It certainly wasn't headline news. But many of those policies had serious effects on our rights, particularly the rights to freedom of expression and information. Article 19's Global Expression Report analysed the new restrictions being placed on these vital freedoms under the umbrella of pandemic management. With a huge range of social sciences data and a brand new set of measures tracking pandemic management across 161 countries, we could see in stark relief the pandemic's effect on human rights. The overall score for freedom of expression is down yet again and significant drops were seen in key elements like public participation in decision-making and protest. The conclusions were pretty bleak this year. The pandemic provided a new arsenal of tools for the management of expression and information which were enthusiastically taken up by an enormous number of governments worldwide. Attacks on journalists and online censorship intensified in many places, while public participation took a dive. Decisions were made with no consultation, oversight was undermined, Power was centralised and accountability was severely limited. We saw blanket bans on protests and new laws to limit new media, as well as suspension of the right to information. Essentially, the lights went out on information relating to government policy. Two-thirds of all countries imposed restrictions on media in relation to the pandemic. It was by far the most common violation of democratic standards, and by the standards of 2020, that's really saying something. So it's a surprise to nobody that last year the global score also reached its lowest ebb since 2010. Two-thirds of the planet's population now live in countries with highly restricted or in-crisis environments for freedom of expression. But it's key to remember the wider context of this. Our rights have been in decline since long before the pandemic. Yes, we need to vigilantly roll back the restrictions on our rights imposed during the pandemic, but back to normal won't be good enough. We must now build a better world than we had before the rights to expression and information, can and should lead the way. Parcela da imprensa brasileira também politizou o vírus. There's cause for concern in many, many countries. One of the biggest drops we've seen in measures of freedom of expression in the last decade is Brazil, where the political environment has shifted radically in the last decade amid one of the biggest drops in GXR score we've measured in recent years. It's a playbook that started with Donald Trump. Okay, so Bolsonaro tries to make what Donald Trump made in the US. 
So for example, next year we'll have a serious problem with his attempts against uh, the election. He will try to attack the credibility of the election. Guilherme Amado is a political journalist and deputy director of the Brazilian Association of Investigative Journalism. The polarization of society and uh, our incapacity of debating with those that disagree with us, it made for journalists and for everybody that works with a communication in Brazil and even regular citizens in social media. For us, it's, it's hard to deal with uh, online harassment, to deal with hate speech, to deal with a tremendous a sea of misinformation. Brazil has seen broad new restrictions in freedom of expression. Censorship of activists and political opponents has increased and fake news has spiked, including fake news being spread by President Jair Bolsonaro himself. I somehow I am one of his favorite targets, at least among men reporters, because he is much stronger and worse with women. But he attacked me many times in social media, during Facebook Lives, every every Thursday he has a Facebook Live in which he talks for one hour about different topics and in which he attacks many journalists. And uh, it's common to receive this kind of attack. The previous presidents uh, of Brazil before Bolsonaro, we had problems. They were not 100% Democrats. But for sure, uh, Bolsonaro is incomparably uh, worse. It's not that he doesn't like to be criticized. He hates journalists. It's different. He openly hates journalists. He hates the media. Even during the dictatorship, we didn't have president openly attacking journalists like Bolsonaro does. So, of course, the environment is not worse than dictatorship. Journalists uh, were killed because of their work, so it's different, of course. But the president attacking himself, uh, a reporter, this is, is totally new. We are seeing the impact of that in our real lives. So I, I have been saying that in Brazil, I consider that we are one stage before what happened in Charlie Hebdo in France. I believe that he's inciting this kind of behavior. During the pandemic in Brazil, as well as facing a public crisis of fake news about coronavirus, the government themselves spread false information about case numbers, deaths and vaccinations. In, in, the, in the pandemics, journalists around the world, we saw that we really are fundamental for people being alive, you know. So our information, information that we provide, it's critical for people and uh, in democracies, our work, information that we provide, it's fundamental for them to vote and for them to know what's happening in a country that is commanded by an autocratic leader as Bolsonaro. The government tried to withhold numbers of people that had COVID. They tried to, to fake these numbers. But after the press pressuring and uh, criticizing this kind of behavior, they gave up. In Brazil, we had to make our own score uh, of victims because the Department of Health, they simply started to make the score following different criteria that were not scientific criteria. 
So the press had the responsibility of being the most trustworthy source of information in terms of numbers of victims, numbers of people that had COVID, and recently also numbers of people that got the vaccine. And this is a, is a big backlash in Brazil because we were, before Bolsonaro, we were more and more advanced uh, in terms of public information. On top of all of this, elections are around the corner and many journalists are concerned about electoral legitimacy in the country's restricted, chaotic and misleading information ecosystem. They're also worried about their own safety and security. We have two main risks. The first is intimidation against the press and maybe any journalists will be afraid uh, of making journalism, of going to the streets to report. So I think that the fear is a, a risk for self-censorship and this is exactly what Bolsonaro wants. And the second risk is violence, physical violence, online hate speech, going to uh, hate crimes in the streets. So we will have a very violent environment for journalists in Brazil. We will be attacked not only in social media, but also in the streets. I hope that we will not have episodes with firearms, but I think that we will have, because his supporters, they are pro-firearms, they have arms. Uh, Bolsonaro incites the use of arms, so I'm afraid that journalists will, maybe will have case of murders uh, or at least very strong uh, physical attacks against journalists that are covering the elections. So in many, many situations, he will attack the legitimacy of, of the election. He will attack journalists. He will attack civil society. Uh, he will attack the freedom of expression in general. And we need the international community denouncing that. We need other governments speaking publicly against him. And it doesn't mean to be against Bolsonaro. It's about being pro-democracy. It's about being pro-freedom of expression, you know. Otherwise, uh, if uh, this kind of behavior wins, today's in Brazil and tomorrow maybe is in one of their countries. contrast with Brazil, Tunisia shows huge rises in scores for freedom of expression over the last decade. In fact, 2010's Arab Spring uprisings saw spikes in scores for many countries involved, but most of those scores then saw vast drops in the following years. Tunisia seemed to be the exception, maintaining its gains and keeping its ranking as a less restricted country. But the country's environment for freedom of expression has seen serious setbacks in the last couple of years, and criticising the authorities has severe consequences. Tunisia saw renewed political crisis amid spiking coronavirus figures and mounting repression. You can speak freely, but you have to assume the consequences later on, from lawsuits to arrests to, to abuse of force. Naurez Dusi is a human rights defender and feminist activist. Since the downfall of Ben Ali's regime, we kind of had the access to talk about everything, mainly politics, and to participate 
in in these let's say uh, open debates about politics we did not have the access to change the regime we are allowed to speak about it to talk about it out loud but not too much <laughs> i've been a political activist since 2014 and there's like a very different manner in which authorities now are, are dealing with me as a person or as a figure I mean, in 2014, whenever I speak about something or go outside and manifest against something, I'll get arrested immediately. So for now, I don't get arrested, but I can probably get, I don't know, a lawsuit perhaps or something like that. Nowadays says ordinary citizens are routinely arrested for exercising their free speech and some topics are off limits entirely. The Ministry of Interior, I mean, that thing is like a bomb in the political scene. It's like whenever you are witnessing an abusive act from the Ministry of Interior and like you're documented whatever you're having and you're posting it or saying something about it, and then boom, like lawsuits, arrests, abuse of force. I mean, sometimes we can get home raids and, and etc. When you criticize the president, you have to deal with the army. You don't get a civil suit, but you get an army suit. Protests in 2020 were brutally suppressed. When movements returned in 2021, the consequences were just as harsh. Nowrez was part of a crisis unit monitoring human rights abuses. It, it was horrific. I mean, I've slept in, in my own office for more than 20 days just to keep up with whatever is happening in Tunisia. We had 1,920 arrests in only from the 14th of January until the 6th of February. That's less than a month. And 30% of them were minors. So they were under the age of 18. It does not only limit the freedom of expression, but also the right to protest, which is a constitutional right, um, the right to criticize, which is a constitutional right, and, and the right to ask for a decent life, which is not only a constitutional right, but it was the main slogan of the revolution back in 2011. And I personally have documented and witnessed like a lot of brutality. And allow me to tell you that even minors who were sharing some videos that actually documents or films a criminalized violations were arrested, you will find like every possible lawsuit you can ever imagine. From the military courts to the civil courts, to the, it, it, it was catastrophic. While the pandemic did factor into the state response to protest movements, Tunisia was already living under an emergency law that suspends the rights and freedoms of its citizens on the grounds of national security. Since 2013, we're still living under the emergency state. Yeah, there are some laws and some rights that are suspended. When you're criticizing the work of the Ministry of Interior, they used the Terrorism Act. It was a bill that actually passed in, in 2016, I guess, in which you're now exposing police officers, making them a target to terrorist groups, which, which was ridiculous at the time. Healthcare for citizens, they do forget about that, but somehow they're reminded that they have to retain security. These brutal attacks on protesters continue in Tunisia and the combination of pandemic and political crisis has made for an extremely tough environment for freedom of expression. Amid a wave of fake news and confusing information, many citizens have become more wary of the media. Somehow the authority have enjoyed this quiet way of not having people demonstrating. 
people mm. were afraid to come out of the houses. Everyone was knocking on their shoulders because death was basically everywhere. And for having the people who do not question what the government is doing, for the simple fact because nobody knows what's happening. So yes, it has a long-term effect, but when it comes to freedom of speech, we've had a maniac reaction because it's now the people whom are asking for, for the restrictions on the media to be done. Saying that, see, this is what you gain from the freedom of expression. Now you're having doctors showing up on the national TV who are not actually doctors. It's going to be a right that we have to proclaim again, unfortunately. I'm not seeing like this cool, the light at the end of tunnel. No, it's going to escalate, unfortunately. We don't have a military history like the Egyptian, and we don't have oil to be somehow the fish under the sea for, for Turkey and the US and other countries who, who might get thirsty for our oil. But it was not a successful democratic transition. It caused us more than two political assassinations. It caused us a lot of young people going to jail just for expressing. And I mean, we were destroyed economically and corruption and impunity is everywhere. I mean, our experience was marketed as the only success on the Arab Spring, in which was not. We need new figures to lead. We need activist figures to lead. Thailand is ranked a country in crisis by the Global Expression Report, having seen dramatic drops in scores over the last decade and a steep drop in the last year too. A pro-democracy movement inspired thousands to take to the streets in 2020. Young people marched, demanding the dissolution of the military-backed government, a new constitution, reform of the monarchy and an end to the harassment of activists and government critics. It was the first protest on that scale in a decade, and the regime employed an arsenal of measures to silence them. Last year was different because it was led by the younger generation. They probably didn't have uh, the same trauma or the bad memories that the society experienced before. So they went out on the street with hopes, with I mean the new perspectives and with uh, courages that we haven't seen for a while. It's so refreshing and it's something that we, yeah, we haven't seen for so long. I mean, the very big protest movement that calling for democratic reforms and all that stuff. So that's why I decided to join the movement. Pim City Petnam Rob is a Thai human rights activist who was out on the streets last year, as well as tracking abuses against demonstrators. Though the protests started out with hope and energy, the authorities soon began to crack down. At the beginning, it was pretty, yeah, cheerful. Like you can see a lot of banners with some humours. You can see a lot of subcultures like the drag culture, cosplays, or you can see some stuff that they borrow from Japanese anime, that kind of stuff, a lot of pop cultures. So it was pretty cheerful at the beginning before it got more and more intense. The first use of force to disperse the protest started on 16 October. So after that, the mood has changed up until today. The crowd control police uh, started using the water cannon, mixing with a kind of tear gas chemical. So when you were hit 
with that water, it was pretty tough. Like you, you couldn't really breathe properly. It's pretty painful. These protests continued into 2021, morphing into protests about the pandemic management, about the economic effects of lockdown and COVID-19 mismanagement. As the protests evolved, so did the government response to them. This year got super violent by the government, for example. I mean, the use of rubber bullets are common. The use of tear gas in the residential area is pretty common. Some protesters were arrested and beaten up by the police on the spot. I mean, some of them were denied access to lawyers. Some of them were also tortured, I mean, inside the police station, allegedly. When it comes to working class kids, they feel like, yeah, I mean, even if you're not part of the protest, you're going to get bullied by the police. Right now, it's very much unpredictable. You might got hit by rubber bullets. You might got choked by the tear gas. There's a case of the guy. He joined the protest for maybe two or three times, and then he was hit by tear gas canister on his eye. So he lost at least uh, 70% of his sight, basically. So things like this happen. And there are two cases of young boys. Uh, one is 14 years old and one is uh, 15 years old who were shot by the live bullet. One was safe already, but another one just died a few weeks ago. The Thai authorities wielded a broad spectrum of tools against protesters, trying to silence them using measures from states of emergency to health measures, and even the revival of an old defamation law, Les Majestés, a law against insulting the royal family. Maybe the government had the feelings that they could not really stop uh, these young people with uh, the water cannons, with uh, the tear gas, because they would still come out on the street. Anyway, so they have to pull the iron fist, one of the harshest defamation law in the world, which is the Les Majestés, because, I mean, this law... It can actually cost you 3 to 15 years in jail. Uh, one of protest leaders, uh, Parit Chiwarag, he's 22 years old. He's fourth-year student from Tamasat University. He's uh, being held pre-trial for two months now. And he's the one who actually has less majestic charges, actually. Like 20 less majestic charges on him. 20? 20. 20. Uh, right now, it's 21 already. Yeah, so... Wow. In total, it actually could cost him 215 years in jail. The numbers on the streets have been much smaller this year, but legal cases against critical speech are still rising, now mainly focused online. Even so, there's still hope in unity, says Pim City. We really have to give it to young people these days. They don't stop and they're not going to stop. I mean, that's my feeling. It was pretty spectacular seeing like 100,000 people gathered, I mean, in one place last year. But I would say it's still not enough to change this country. We need more people in the future. Uh, we have to work harder to reach out to different groups in the society. And then we can come back stronger and bigger. So we just hope that the next generation wouldn't have to do what we are doing right now. So... We just hope that we can actually pave the better future for them. Across the world as the pandemic first hit, we were kept off the streets, censored on and offline, and suffered restrictions on our media environment, leaving many without crucial information, not just about the authorities' response, but about a virus which affected all of us. 
as the world falteringly opens up again, we have the chance to take a close look at our relationship with governments. What's the hangover of the pandemic for our human rights? And how do we shift it? Thanks for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>